Live from WNUR News, I'm Jung and Jennifer Kim. You're listening to the 6 o'clock news on WNUR 89.3 FM, Evanston, Chicago. It's Friday, October 28, 2022. Tonight on WNUR News, Northwestern launches a rocket, Ava Earl performs Jealous of Her, and Real Life Monsters, Cryptids. Those stories coming up tonight on WNUR News at 6. Thanks for tuning in. Reporter Sarah Kadora has never taken a physics class in her life. Luckily, she talked to someone who has. Here's the story about a six-story rocket a Northwestern team launched into space last summer. For about 15 minutes, on August 21st, 2022, a small Northwestern team watched their work hurtle into space and come crashing down. Yeah, look at that. A team from Northwestern University launching this rocket into space this weekend. The The successful launch made local news. Crash landing the multi-million dollar instrument was all part of the plan. Sounding rockets are designed to carry their scientific instruments into space and return them back to Earth, ideally in one piece. Uh, Hi, I'm Josh Foreman. I'm a fifth-year graduate student at Northwestern working on the MicroX sounding rocket project. Been working on it for four and a half years, seeing it from right after the first flight of the rocket through to the second flight of the rocket this last August. By the time Foreman joined in 2018, the MicroX project was already well underway. The rocket was proposed in its first iteration in 2006. The group from Northwestern's Physics and Astronomy Department collaborated with teams from NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center, UW-Madison, and more to get MicroX off the ground. Professor Tali Figueroa Feliciano was the project's advisor. At any one time, a handful of graduate students and postdocs worked on the project. So by the time MicroX flew, most who had worked on it graduated or moved on. As they came and went, the telescope at the heart of MicroX was built, tested, adjusted, retested, and tested again. The construction site looked more like an operating room, located in Figueroa's lab on Maple Ave, near downtown Evanston. It really is like rocket surgery at times. There are are points where you're working around very delicate things. You're wearing, we call them bunny suits. They're these Tyvek, fully white, fully enclosed suits that keep dust and and debris and hair from falling off of us and getting onto the rocket. And we do all of this inside a clean room because there are parts in there that are so fragile that when the rocket starts shaking, if there's a piece of dust big enough for you to see it that we missed, it could break these really delicate parts. The purpose of MicroX, why NASA pumped tens of millions of dollars into a Northwestern lab, was to take a picture, one very expensive picture. I'll let the rocket scientist explain. We were trying to observe a what's called a supernova remnant. And this is basically the corpse of an exploded dead star. So when stars get really, really big and they kind of burn through all of their fuel, eventually they're not producing enough energy to support their own weight. And kind of counterintuitively, they collapse in on themselves, but that collapse makes them explode if they're big enough. So these are some of the most energetic events in the whole universe. And so about 300 years ago, one of these explosions happened, and uh, you could have seen it in the night sky in the constellation Cassiopeia, uh, which is the one that kind of looks like a W. That explosion 
would have been really bright to us back then, but it has since faded. So we can't observe the explosion anymore, but we can observe the remains, the corpse of this dead star. And that material is still really, really hot. So we're looking at it in the X-ray band of, of light, um, and we're looking at the color of the X-ray, the energy, really. As the rocket peaked 150 miles above Earth's surface, MicroX got to work. It collected X-ray data above where Earth's atmosphere would absorb the high-energy beams. By looking at that, we can look at the materials and the different elements that are in the uh, explosion, which is really uh, one of the places where we think a lot of the stuff that makes up the Earth makes up us. The whole, you know, all of the stuff we interact with, a lot, large portion of that comes from these stellar explosions. So we can understand kind of the origins of everything that we interact with on a daily basis by studying these exploding stars. The data would also be a surprisingly cheap test run for the technology to be used in future satellites. NASA would rather spend millions on a failed sounding rocket than billions on a failed satellite. And in space, the opportunities for failure are a lot. In July 2018, the team got a taste of that failure. On the rocket's first flight, a system failed, resulting in a pointing error. The onboard star tracker couldn't find the supernova remnant it was there to observe, called Cassiopeia A. And instead, we see El Paso, because we're just tumbling through space, and we landed safely, but without any scientific data. So we were an engineering success, but the second flight was to go back and get that scientific success as well. Foreman joined the project just a few months after that first flight. It is the most stressful thing I've ever done. The whole process, really, there were parts where I was trying to do something to fix something on the rocket. And if I messed up, that was kind of it. The program was over because we were out of time and money and it was kind of a last shot. A 20-foot refrigerated truck departed Evanston in July 2022. Packed up everything in the lab, basically, including our section of the rocket, onto, into huge crates and then onto this truck. And it barely fit. Four years after the pointing error, the Micro-X telescope was returning to a military testing range in New Mexico. This time, failing to get scientific data could mean the end of the project. Millions of dollars and an equal number of work hours invested into lessons learned, but no new data from CASA. Did you get it? We did. We think we did. Uh, every metric that we can see so far looks good. We definitely have scientific x-rays on our detector. So we're into a, you know the next couple of months now, continuing to kind of dive into the data with a fine-tooth comb and make it as good as we can before we publish it. But by all metrics, you know, things look good. There are, are lots of ways that this project can fail. Um, and by all accounts, it should not have worked. <laughs> the, the number of chances we've had to ruin things irrecoverably is astronomically high. So we're very lucky that we've made it all the way to flight to getting scientific data. So many people poured blood, sweat, and tears into this rocket that uh, I, especially as, you know, most likely the last grad student to come up through this project, 
I'm just deeply grateful for all of the people who both came before me and worked on this project and kind of developed the technology and did the engineering that let me work on this project and see it through to success that it was in the end. For WNUR News, I'm Sarah Kadora. Sophomore and singer-songwriter Ava Earl performed recently at a Northwestern event. Follow Emily Kim as she learns more about her journey in writing the song, Jealous of Her. Last Friday, our guest performed her first concert of the year at Northwestern. She sang a song that is in her upcoming album, and today she's here with us. Please welcome Ava Earl. To start off, can you just like give us a brief introduction of yourself? Um, yeah, I'm Ava Earl. I'm 19 years old. I'm a sophomore here at Northwestern. Um, and yeah, I'm a singer songwriter. I consider myself to be in the Americana genre. So yeah. And um, how did you get into singing and songwriting? Yeah, I've been playing guitar since I was about eight, and um, I think the songwriting moved, like, started happening pretty quickly after that, um, and I had I had a really good guitar teacher, Melanie Stiazny, who kind of gave me the space to, like, experiment with covers and stuff and, like, put my own twist on things, and um, I think that that kind of gave me a nice... Um, kind of she allowed me to have like creativity in my work and stuff like that so yeah I think it got me started off to a good good start and um I know you like recently had an event which was like this Friday and so like can you just tell me like more about it as it was like your first show of the year at school Mm -hmm. I'm assuming Mm -hmm. yeah I mean big shout out to Swan the Songwriters Association of Northwestern for helping me put that on and like get equipment and stuff like that um, and it was really just a super fun event. A bunch of my friends came and it just kind of gave me an opportunity to like play to them in a formal setting. And, um, yeah, it was really fun. I, it's, there's a difference between like playing songs for my friends just casually and mm-hmm. doing it on stage and like kind of having like, I mean, it's a little bit more professional, but also that way I get to like, you know, have some storytelling aspects and stuff. And I think it's really fun to be able to connect in that way. And some people who had never seen play were able to make it, so that was really nice. So, yeah, it was, it was just really good night. I talked to, like, some audience members before this <laughs> who, like, came on Friday, and they really talked about how they liked the song Jealous that you performed. And, oh, sweet. Yeah, and so, like, I was, like, really looking forward to that song, and I really enjoyed it. I think okay. it was, like, one of my favorites as well. Yay. So um, can you, like, talk a little bit more about that song? Yeah, so it's actually, it's called Jealous of Her, um, and I wrote it about, like, a year and a half ago, I think, and I wrote it about this guy that I really liked, and he got a girlfriend, like, after I had been liking him for a while, and I saw them, like, together grocery shopping, um, and he was older than me, and so he was, like, you know, getting, like, adult groceries, and I was, like, at the same store buying, like, ice cream for my, like, sleepover with my friends, um, and it just felt like a really, it was a really funny moment where it's like, you know, I have to look at that and like laugh a little bit that like I was like obsessed with this guy. He's got like this whole adult life and I felt like I really didn't have it together. I, I still don't. <laughs> um, and I was just kind of like, wow, like this is kind of silly of me. And I was like, yeah. 
Is there anything that you are looking forward to in this year or school year with like events or any like album releases? Yeah, I mean, I'm well, first of all, I'm very excited to look forward to like what other events Swan puts on. Hopefully, I'll be able to be a part of some of them. Um, but yeah, a lot of other really talented and like super cool musicians working within and with that organization. So I think that's super cool. Um, and I, I do have an album releasing in the spring. I don't have a set date yet, but Jealous of Her will be on it. Yes. Same with a few of the other songs I played uh, on Friday. Um, and I'm really, really excited about it. It's I, I really love every album I've recorded, but this one might just be my favorite. I feel like it really encompasses who I am right now. And I wrote, like, at least half of the songs while I was on campus last year. So, like, I feel like it should, um, it really, like, has that, like, college vibe in a way and like it yeah. feels very true to myself and it's also really loud and fun and you know we've got like big drums and I'm gonna go record harmony vocals in a couple weeks um so yeah it's I'm just really excited about it and that more information come but yeah that's exciting oh my god yeah thank you I'm yeah. like about it yeah this was Ava Earl everyone thank you for being with us Look out for her album in the spring and for more performances to come. For WNUR News, I'm Emily Kim. Halloween is around the corner, and so are ghosts, skeletons, and other assorted monsters. Some of these creatures, however, may bring more than just the cliché stories. Reporter Max Milo has more. The vampire-like beast, I think it's a Sasquatch. Something that should have been dead 65 million years ago. In the spirit of Halloween, I thought it'd be fitting to explore some of real life's monsters, ghouls, and ghosts, otherwise known as cryptids. While the term itself is lesser known, cryptids have been an established part of our lives for thousands of years. Everyone knows Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, or even the feared Chupacabra. Well, creatures like minotaurs or fire-breathing dragons paved the way for these modern-day beasts. If there is not scientific proof that an animal exists, but many people claim it does, then it is a cryptid. It's an interesting definition. These loose parameters mean that at some point in time, both Bigfoot and the gorilla were considered cryptids. The gorilla wasn't officially discovered until the end of the 1800s. Like Bigfoot, gorillas were the subject of much speculation prior to their official entrance to the animal kingdom. At the time, explorer Andrew Battelle called the gorillas human-like monsters. The Komodo dragon was another cryptid until 1910. For a while, platypus skins were thought to be some taxidermist sick joke. And the giant squid still has some conflict over its existence despite its classification as a species. 
Most people know a cryptid or two, and many have their own local stories. Florida is apparently a hotspot of these stories. I tried to survey all my friends for any hometown horrors, but the only real stories provided were from two Floridians. Honestly, this checks out for Florida, so I sat down with each of them to dig a little deeper into cryptid culture. Hi, my name is Stephanie Martinez, and I'm a freshman. Um, I'm from Cuba, and a chupacabra is more like a, it's like a Latin America, like, myth. I also interviewed my friend, Louis. So I'm from Ocala, Florida, and the skunk ape, it's rumored to be around southern United States, more like Louisiana, or, you know, where the Everglades are in South Florida, along that little swampy region. People logically dismiss cryptids, but there are some interesting creatures who slip through the cracks. Take jackalopes, for instance. Ultimately, jackalopes aren't a real species. A rare disease in bunnies and rabbits leads to unusual growths on the head, which creates the seeming adoption of antlers. For this reason, others have started to consider if this concept can be applied to, say, the chupacabra. Maybe the chupacabra is really just a bunch of sick coyotes. Likewise, Lewis had his own ideas about the skunk ape. But I have heard that there are legends of like native uh, indigenous tribes who have seen of a creature like that and, you know, tell stories about that. Um, you know, Florida is full of a lot of history um, and full of a lot of flora and fauna. So, you know, people see things in these very dense forests, swamps. Stephanie and Lewis are correct in that the human mind plays a bigger role. History is speckled with disproven and faulty cryptids. Yeti bones were faked on a prominent 1958 expedition. Stories have been born out of family dinners. Taxidermied fish with fur attached and a rabbit with glued on wings are just some of the joking creations later discovered by eager conspiracists. Regardless of what reality is, part of the fun of cryptids is the unknown. Scientists may argue against the lack of solid data or truth behind reports, but who knows which cryptid might surprise us in the future. For all we know, Bigfoot could be wandering around great wildernesses like the forests of Oregon, the swamps of Florida, or the many hallways of the NU Technological Institute. Happy Halloween, everyone. For WNUR News, I'm Max Milo. The weather for this week is looking fantastic, but the chemistry for the weather team is getting a little stormy. Helen Bradshaw and Brendan Priesman have the weather. Hi, I'm Helen. And I'm Brendan. If you've ever listened to this segment before, you know that usually Nick joins us. But this week we've been betrayed. Luckily, other WNUR members know what loyalty is. Thanks, Brendan. Well, it's not exactly a betrayal. He just had work, Helen. Anyway, 
Welcome to Fairweather Enemies. No. Welcome to Fairweather Friends. Who's the weather? Here's what you can expect this week. For your Halloween, you can look forward to some sun on Saturday and some relatively chilly temps, 50s and 40s. So be sure to trade your tidy whiteies for a hazmat suit in your sexy Walter White costume if you're planning to be outside for a while. The rest of this week looks beautiful, with highs in the 60s. So grab your friends and get outdoors before winter hits. If your friends haven't already ripped your heart into a million pieces, that is. Okay... Well, as for around the country, on the East Coast, it's looking like it's going to be a little bit rainy Tuesday, but warm the rest of the week. In the South, it's going to be a bit stormy midweek, but also temperatures are going to stay warm. In the Midwest, it's going to be warm all week, probably the last good week of the year for beautiful weather, so take advantage of that. And then on the West Coast, temperatures are going to start off nice, but start dipping a little lower around Wednesday or Thursday. As for the oceans, no tropical disturbances are being reported, and from this weekend, there's only one month left until hurricane season is officially over. Well, that's it for Fairweather Friends. Join us next week to see if more than just my friendship with Nick is looking stormy. And to hear about actual weather in the Evanston and Chicago area. A look at the weather for tonight. Expect mostly clear skies with light winds and temperatures near 41 degrees. The Chicago winter is approaching fast. Saturday may begin sunny, then become partly cloudy at night, reaching a high of 59 and low of 45, again with light winds. Prepare for a slight chance of rain showers on Sunday afternoon. Taking a look into the headlines, Polls for the 2022 midterm elections for state and federal candidates, as well as key local referendums, will be open between 6 a.m. and 7 p.m. at Evanston on November 8th. All no Northwestern students who are Evanston residents or U.S. citizens are eligible to vote. This weekend, Northwestern is commemorating the 50th anniversary of Title IX, the law that prohibits discrimination based on sex in education and programs receiving federal financial assistance. Sponsored by the Medill School of Journalism, the university is hosting a series of panels beginning yesterday and lasting until tomorrow. Halloween Weekend is here and the National Public Radio reported that the most popular nationwide Google search for costumes this year was The Witch. For Chicago specifically, it was Stranger Things. That's all for WNUR News at 6 p.m. For more news updates and reports, follow us on Twitter at WNUR News. You can listen to these and other WNUR news stories on our website, WNUR.news. That's WNUR.news. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our producer today is Alex Harrison, and our reporters are Sarah Kodora, Emily Kim, 
Max Milo, Helen Bradshaw, and Brendan Priestman. From all of us here at WNUR News, thanks for listening. I'm Jung and Jennifer Kim. Catch our next newscast on Monday, November 1st at 6 p.m. At 6 p.m. Now back to scheduled programming.